when Jim walked through the door. He almost walked out, and then he turned left, and then he finally came through, and we cheered. And someone mentioned it was like a three-act. And then we discussed the ways that we could improve Jim McClure walking through a door. Ah, I see. Yes, pursued by a bear. Live from the Mendangerous Last Homely House in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 109 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about playing half-elves. But first, the rogue traders make a big call in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the dilettante samples the wares of every class in the Character Creation Forge. So, just want to... Request everybody listening, send us your RPG horror stories. We want to hear about the worst games, the worst groups, the worst behaviors, the worst everything awful that you've ever experienced at a role-playing table uh, that you are comfortable talking about to TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. Yeah, GMs, uh, what is the worst mistake you ever made that you're never going to make again? We're going to share some of these we're going to react to them because I'm sure some of these are going to be very bad. Uh, we're going to try not to read too much of them until we're actually recording. Yeah, we'll try not to preview all of them. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, maybe we'll even get to a point where there's some advice about how to avoid it in the future, I suppose. Yeah. All right. Speaking of horrible things you want to avoid, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game that we ran using the Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And the Rogue Traders, uh, the crew of the His Enduring Light, are on the feudal world of Gauntlegrim, attempting to prove, as usual, that they aren't heretics to an Imperial Commissar uh, in the most Imperial Guardsman way possible. This is the worst planet ever. He wants you to die for the Emperor. Yeah. So, you are sent to the front lines to fight orcs. Well... Trix was able to get out of his duty by solving some logistical problems. Oh, these kids can't read. I'm going to help them. Yeah, Doc uh, blew it in the field hospital, so Mm -hmm. he got sent to the bloodiest trench and had to fight close combat against the orcs on multiple charges. Fortunately for him, Echo was sent to uh, RIP duty. Yeah, to whip the rabble into shape. And then took that whipped rabble into the trenches and pretty much saved Doc. And then Trank finds himself, finally, a proper recon mission. I was so excited about this. This is my character, Trank. This is what he does. He's basically a sniper ranger. So what was the mission? Oh, no big deal. Just venture out alone into no man's land, avoid the orcs, uh, and find a three-man team that we've lost contact with and retrieve them. Also, you know, help reconnoiter, and if there is anyone important out there, murder them before returning. Right. Uh, Yeah, they were sent to uh, identify priority targets and, uh, you know, snipe any targets of opportunity, but they've missed their last few check-ins, so you got to go extract them, or at least figure out what happened to them. Uh, The IG. Yeah. (laughs) This is why I was in the Navy. But fine, you know, it takes a Navy man to save save these grunts. Makes sense. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, so you did successfully avoid all of the uh, orky threats. Yeah, because I'm a ghost. You were, kind of, in, in your own way. 
and, and you did eventually track down the sniper team. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were far beyond their mission parameters. Yeah, but really gung-ho because <laughs> the reason they were out so far is they'd found a war truck. Yeah, so they had eyes on a pair of mech boys who were hard at work constructing a war truck, which is a, a massive um, a siege weapon isn't the right thing, but it's sort of a just a gigantic truck that the orcs fill with boys and drive it straight into something, uh, kind of a shock and awe sort of super weapon. Right. Think of a tank taken apart by orcs and then meshed with like eight other tanks. Right. And then all the armor removed because you don't need that. Right. Uh, and then driven at breakneck speeds directly into your front line. Yeah. At speeds that can break an orc's neck. Right. So that's very fast. And oh, also painted red. Plus warpy. Right. <laughs> so they spotted that. And you know what? I can't fault their decision to stay and keep eyes on it. Right. Uh, so once you made Vox contact with them, you told them, you know, that you were that they were ordered to return. And they were like, uh, sir, I think you really want to make your way up here and see this for yourself. Idiots. So I do. And when I get there. Yeah. yeah okay. Okay. I guess I did uh, want to yeah, see this good, for myself. Good choice to wait. <laughs> uh, great. And they're like, well, can we take the shot? Right. So how far away was it? It was, what, half a kilometer away? Yeah, it was um, long distance for a sniper rifle, but not impossible distance. Right, not extreme distance. Um, not right. even out of range. Right. But a very difficult shot. A skilled shot for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, orcs are like hornets in that if you don't kill them with the first hit, things get very, very bad for you. Mm-hmm. And the war truck was, well, it was almost complete. So the option was take the shot, hope it is a very good shot, and hope that single shot takes out the truck. So in order to actually take out a truck with a bullet, I would basically need to line up the shot perfectly and shoot through the engine block. Yeah, yeah, between the two of you, you had to get one of those magical shots in. And this is this was a turning point for Trank because... He had always been very gung-ho, very confident of his abilities. I mean, he's from the same planet as Flair, so he still has, you know, that sense of, like, we're the best ones in the universe. Mm -hmm. But he was captured by Dark Eldar because of his foolhardiness. Yes. And then he was shot at by orcs because of his foolhardiness. Yes. He flew into a hurricane uh, and also has now been accused of heresy because of his foolhardiness slash heroics. Yes. And so Trank begins an arc of looking out for number one, playing things safe, and trying to make sure that there are backup plans. So what did Trank decide? He decided if he missed, the war truck was going to immediately barrel into the front lines and murder everybody. So instead, he calls for a retreat. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we are continuing our series on playing non-human characters. We are very nearly done with the 5th edition player's handbook, and this week we are talking about playing half-elves. So as you might guess from the name, they're the offspring of humans and elves. Yeah, they got shafted in the naming conventions. Right. Mm-hmm. Just like half-orcs. Yeah. I think they could get their own name. Right. Right? Genasi aren't half-elementals, although exactly. I guess technically they're not half-elementals, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I think half-elves have their roots in sort of Scandinavian folklore, since the Scandinavian elves are human-sized and not little fairies. Right, who, like, you know, steal leather from cobblers. Yeah. It's pretty 
hard to have children with them. Or who make cookies. No matter how hard you try. So Tolkien's character, Elrond Half-Elven, gee, I wonder where he got that name, Mm -hmm. wasn't the first half-elf in modern literature, but he's certainly the best known. And in the stories in Lord of the Rings, you know, for all intents and purposes, he's an elf. He and his brother, thousands of years ago, were sort of given the choice by the the gods, essentially. Okay, you've got elf blood and you've got human blood. You got to pick one. You're either going to be all elf or you're going to be all human. And his brother decided, well, I'm going to be all human. And so, you know, he died like 4,000 years ago. Uh-huh. And Elrond said, I'm going to be all elf. And so now he's still here and super powerful and almost, you know, godlike. Yeah, Elrond didn't take the shot. That, yep, that's correct. Yeah. Which is why <laughs> Trank's going to live forever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of D&D and RPGs, they've got deep, deep roots in the Lord of the Rings. So half-elves have been around from almost the very, very start. Yeah, they were first in the original Monster Manual in 1977, and then they became a PC race in the first player's handbook in 1978. They've been a core race in every edition since then, and they're a staple of pretty much every single fantasy RPG. And they were made even more popular in the 80s by Tannis Half-Elven, the main protagonist of the first series of Dragonlance novels. Uh, I believe... That is a common last name for half-elves. I think it might be. It's like Smith. Right. (laughs) So in D&D, half-elves were initially sort of like literally half-elves. They were just elves with watered-down abilities. Like you you have bonuses that are half as good. Yeah. Uh, And and none of the benefit... Well, you had the multi-class benefit of... Of a human. Human, right. Yeah. Uh, Well, dual class or whatever it was. Whatever it was, right. Uh, And then in 3.5 and and 3.0, we established that half-elves were more like diplomats who were sort of alien to both worlds. They were neither fully human nor fully elven, and they just got used to talking their way out of these uncomfortable situations. Yeah, that sort of took, uh, I think, a lot of inspiration from the Tannis character, who that was sort of his driving motivation was he never really felt like he fit in anywhere. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, it was 3rd edition, so eventually they got statted out with half versions of all the different crazy elven subraces. So half aquatic elf and half wood elf and half moon elf. Perfect. Just what we needed. More half-baked ideas. Totally. Except that no one played half elves in 3rd edition because they were garbage. Right. Mm-hmm. And then come 4th edition and on to 5th. Suddenly half elves are playable now. Oh my god, they're they're so good. They're almost OP in both editions. Right. Yeah. Uh, So they became charisma primary classes, sort of doubling down on that diplomat status. Mm -hmm. Uh, They gained skills, and they also had versatile abilities. They they get a little bit of the elven like defenses, and then they get the the human you know choice of skills or choice of ability scores. So they they have a lot of flexibility. Yeah, it's really nice that now you can play a half elf who doesn't just have the elven abilities, but but lesser versions. It has some of the elven abilities and some of the human abilities, plus a little bit extra on top because they're probably the strongest race in the 5e PHP. Yeah. So reasons to play a half-elf in fantasy games these days. You want to stand out, but not physically. (laughs) (laughs) Well, people will notice you, but you don't want to be scary like a dragonborn. You don't want to be ugly like Like a a tiefling. Yeah, exactly. You want to be... Hot and awesome. Right. Maybe you just want to be good at pretty much anything you try because their their versatility allows them to be very good at pretty much any class and pretty much any role in the party. Yeah, you might want to be a wanderer. Uh, half-elves don't really form their own 
unique societies they always kind of attach themselves to other societies yeah it's a character that has that foot in two worlds and both from a mechanical and a story perspective there are always opportunities for you to make choices about which of those worlds you are going to pursue or you know which one you're sort of shunted away from they're also great if you want to play a more charismatic warrior um, it's difficult to get charisma in a lot of the uh, more martial-focused races. Mm-hmm. So Half-Elf is one of the easiest ways to do that because you get the charisma bonus and also um, you can apply your stats to whatever combat stat Yeah, you plus need. one or whatever. If you need strength, you can, you can take strength. Right. And perhaps the last reason is maybe you're just a power gamer. Uh, there is a reason that Bran Talandro is a half-elf. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, right? Yeah. Wait, I can respec him as anything? Wait, they said that is the half-elf? <laughs> I'm going to switch. <laughs> I need an in-story event. I need an in-story event. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, my fourth edition character was also a half-elf. <laughs> yeah, Solomon the Stag, half-elf. So, as always, remember for uh, each trait that we discuss here, remember, think of your character as whether you are typical for half-elves as a race or whether you stand out because you are somehow unique, whether it's overstated or it's understated. So, in 5th edition, every half-elf gets plus two to charisma. Everyone likes you. It's very easy to form these uh, surface bonds. Those interactions come very easily. But remember that that doesn't necessarily mean that close relationships that, you know, the bonds that you form over a long period of time also come as easily. Yeah, I totally love the idea of a half elf who's very easygoing and persuasive and and quickly convinces people of his sincerity. But then he becomes paranoid because if people are so easy to convince, perhaps I am equally easy to convince. Mm -hmm. Like, so I can't trust anybody. Or do they just like me because I have 20 charisma? Right. That's the point, but still. Yeah. (laughs) You also get plus one to two ability scores of your choice, which means that it's very easy to be competent in nearly any role. It's also really great for hitting those multi-class prerequisites. Yeah, since you need 13, an odd number, it's great to grab that 13 using one of your plus ones. Sorko's Adventurer's Guide introduces uh, different subtypes of half-elves. You've got a few options for which elven abilities you can take. The only trap there is keen senses. You are giving up uh, proficiency in two skills of your choice for proficiency in perception. Yeah. Yeah. Not great. And it's one of the only ways to get a character with a swim speed. I think the only other one might be the lizard folk out of Volo's Guide. They also get uh, dark vision or low light vision, so they are perfectly comfortable operating uh, at night or in the dark. They get that elven resistance to charm and immunity to sleep which is great because they're probably one of the people who is using those abilities on other people. Right. Turn about is fair play. Mm, nah, it's not really, actually. I'm good. They also get skill versatility, which is fantastic for classes that don't have great skills because um, you can expand your skill list to any skill. Yeah, I love, you know, I'm a barbarian, but I guess I'm just going to take persuasion because I got a plus two charisma now as well. Yeah, I mean, even the sorcerer doesn't have a great skill list, mm-hmm. so you can you can grab a bunch of skills that you're missing as a result. In terms of appearance, they're middle of the road. They're taller than elves, but shorter than humans. Stockier than elves, but thinner than humans. Plainer than elves, but prettier than humans. Is that a thing that bothers you? Right? Is when people describe you, do they describe you in terms of 
your relationship to an elf or a human. And we'll see that as a very common theme throughout pretty much everything about half-elves. Yeah. So in terms of culture, in as much as half-elves have a culture, their alignment tends towards chaos. So in that regard, they're very similar to elves, though arguably also similar to most humans. (laughs) (laughs) In terms of names, do you have an elven name or a human name? And how do you feel about that? Because that name might not correlate with the culture that you identify with. Right. Um, in terms of society, uh, we mentioned there's not typically like a nation of half-elves. For one, it would be rather difficult for you to reproduce more half-elves. Um, but uh, what kind of society do you live in? Uh, is it you know a metropolitan kind of city environment? Is it more rural? Is it otherwise a single race and you're sort of a, a very small, limited set of outsiders? Yeah, usually the stories are, you know, it's a metropolitan city and there are people of all races and this is where half-elves thrive. But maybe you grew up in a city that's mostly dominated by dwarves where neither of your heritages is is present. And right. that's super weird. Yeah. And that's, that's another opportunity as opposed to, like, I grew up among elves and they look at me like, wow, you're going to die soon. Yeah. One notable exception is in the Eberron campaign setting. So uh, the Korovar are a true breeding race with a distinct culture. And in fact, half-elves have control of two of the dragon-marked houses. Yeah, the main continent that the storyline takes place is is called Corvair. So they called themselves Korovar because it's the first place where half-elves sort of actually developed a culture in a society of their own. Right. In terms of religion, probably... Elf or human gods, but, you know, maybe neither. Maybe you compared the two and went, uh, Morden and Corlon, if they're both equally true, maybe neither is. Yeah, I, I like the idea that a half-elf, you know, having no natural inclination towards religion would sort of just pick up whatever religion is in the place they live, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, if you grew up amongst dwarves, you'd probably adopt one of the dwarven gods without much second thought. Yeah, why not? And I would guess that... If you were, you know, living among humans, you'd pick a, a human god. But it's also quite possible that you're living among humans and you say, you know, I want to identify myself as what is different. Mm-hmm. So I, I pick an elven god. Right. Or vice versa. Or reject them both and pick a dwarven god. Yeah, anyway. right. Because Moradin, obviously. I'm an edgy half-elf. <laughs> I worship Grumsh. <laughs> I'm an edge warlord. <laughs> so in terms of your family ties, think about what your childhood was like. If you grew up among humans, when you were young, you may not have been treated that differently from human children because you're maturing at the same rate. You're reaching adulthood around the same time. And the differences between your lifespans don't really become apparent until you're starting to hit like your 40s. Right. But if you're growing up among elves, you are maturing much faster than them. Different versions of a D&D and different fantasy games, you know, sometimes elves are basically babies or children up until they're 50. But even the ones who mature at the same rate have these elongated, extended childhoods Mm -hmm. where they're sort of like playing around and not expected to do anything for 100 years. Right. But like you're, you know, middle-aged by then. Yeah, it must be difficult for a half-elf child raised amongst elves to form friendships because you just mature so much faster than your peers. Like your friendships are necessarily short-lived because you're suddenly you're 15 and nearly an adult and they're 15 and still basically a toddler. Yeah, I can see a half-elf who has access to both races, human and elf, when they're younger feeling much more affinity with humans because they're kind of on the same page. You know, we're we're young but mature. We have our whole lives ahead of us. Let's like get out there and do things. I don't want to just like sit around and learn the loot. Yeah, yeah. 
but as they get older like they hit you know their late 30s their 40s their 50s their human companions are like whoa 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 let's slow down a little bit but now the elves are are just starting to say you know what let's adventure and so i could see over the arc of a half-life's life uh, over the arc of a half-elf's life it's interesting that they might sort of move back and forth between the cultures depending on what people are doing based on their different lifespans yeah Think about if you know other half-elves. That's going to depend on whether it's a true breeding race in this setting or whether the only way to get a half-elf is to have an elf and a human procreate. Did you have any experiences with racism, either from humans or from elves? Is this the kind of setting where elves and humans both love you because they see the best parts of themselves in you? Or is it one where they all hate you, like birthright? Right, because <laughs> your, your blood is tainted by the other. Right. Think about what race each of your parents are and how that relationship was formed. So think about your elf parent. Is this their first relationship? Is it their eighth relationship? Because it's possible that they have, maybe they've married a human, but they could be 300 years old and the human is 30. It's possible that you have siblings who have died before you were born, who lived full, complete lives and had children before you were born. Mm -hmm. And, And so you could be just adventuring and have you know great nieces Mm -hmm. or on the other side you could have an uncle who is 500 years old right it also complicates the rules of inheritance (laughs) can you can you imagine if it's it's a human king who has a bunch of descendants grandchildren whatever right and then takes an elven consort has a half elven child Eight generations of humans are going to look at you and go, I hate you. You are never going to die. Right. I am definitely going to die before anyone inherits this kingdom from you. Yep. So in terms of romance, uh, given their natural charisma and general affability, I don't think it's very hard for a half-elf to find a partner, um, though it might be hard to maintain a successful relationship because of that kind of chaotic and flighty nature. Mm-hmm. Or they just may die like what does till death do us part mean when the lifespans are so different right um you know i think it makes sense for other half elves to sort of find each other Mm -hmm. um you know sort of similar shared life experiences or or maybe kind of the spice of life if you were a half elf raised by humans and um your partner was a half elf raised by elves so in terms of your interactions with other characters once you're on the road like you're an adventurer in an actual game setting you probably get along easily with most PCs, especially if there aren't any elves involved. Yeah, and, and I think it's likely that a half-elf is going to wind up being the face of the party. Oh, yeah, definitely. So when you run into elves, probably one of the things you want to suss out in-game is how do they feel about your parentage? You know, are they weird about the whole half-elf thing? Or is it possible that they know your elven ancestors? I mean, elves are so long-lived that it's sort of one of those not-racist things. Maybe they know one side or the other of your relations. Elves live so long, it makes sense that they would hear about each other. Maybe they know your parents. Or maybe they know your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents on your human side. Yeah. (laughs) Also, as a GM, you might have elves that um, make demands of the half-elf that they can't meet, right? Like, I I could definitely imagine, like, uh, haughty elves putting um, a half-elf through sort of tests of elvish culture um, only to watch him fail right to just sort of demonstrate how not elven a half elf might be right like oh you're a sorcerer huh well 
demonstrate your prowess with the bow. Right. Oh, you're graceful, are you? Well, then perform our traditional dance. (laughs) That it takes, you know, 30 years to learn. Right. But it is possible that even if they act like they don't like you, the elf could envy you because, you know, plus two charisma, you're comfortable outside of elven society. You carry yourself more easily than, you know, the stereotypical elf does. Yeah, and you also have more experience than your cohort does. Like, more more life accomplishment, right? Mm-hmm. As for humans, in most settings, they'll be the dominant society. So it's more likely that you have tried very hard to fit in with human society. And sometimes you have to because it's much harder in most settings to leave it all together like you can do with elven lands, usually. In general, if you're sort of seen as, you know, high charisma, more attractive, most humans, like peasants and NPCs and, and nobles will like you in general. So it's not that bad. But, you know, you can get into a situation like birthright bards wandering around where you're an elf, I mean, you're a half elf and nobody likes you. Right. And no one trusts you. And also you can't hold title to land. Mm-hmm. So so good luck. Why are you even here? And you can't have followers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other PCs are probably going to have a relatively easy time getting along with you. I mean, you'd have to be a pretty parochial rube. Oh, that sounds so unnatural. <laughs> Not when I say it. <laughs> you can change it to whatever you want. <laughs> You'd have to be quite bucolic to be surprised at the sight of half-elves uh, in most parties. And and like I said, you're probably going to end up being the face, so you'll likely be representing the party anyway. Maybe even in court. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Given our track record. Um, also, think about how you feel about the other half-races. Um, things like, you know, half-elves or things like half-orcs. Um, you know, are you envious of them? Are you... Either way, are they envious of you? Either way. Either way. Is there an envious relationship between you? Um, do one of you or the other pity each other? You know, I, I could totally see the ease at which half-elves integrate to society kind of rankling a half-orc and, and that causing pity from the half-elf side. But I could also totally see the half-orc um, sort of feeling pity for the the elf for being not only weak, but also relied upon to do all the talking. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, they, they they use you, right? Like, you, you weren't strong enough to, to carry your own weight, so you have to go do the talking. Right. I am the best things about humans and orcs, but right. you, you are tiny and weak and right. so soft. Right. And, and barely any better than your elven forefathers. Which, let's face it, are terrible. Right. <laughs> I also like the idea that um, they would probably have an affinity for plain-touched races, uh, Genasi, Asimar, maybe even tieflings, mm-hmm. uh, because there is uh, that same mixed heritage, and they can understand potentially feeling like an outsider or not being fully in touch with your heritage. Yeah, I could also see... Um... An, an envious relationship between some of those more exotic planes touched um, and the half elves because half elves know their ancestors and can regularly reach out to them. Right. And even if that's not practical for a given half elf, you know, if I'm a Genasia, I will never meet the elemental who like sired my line. Right. Like if I'm a Azamar, there's a, very low likelihood that I'll ever meet the planetar <laughs> who, who gave birth to like me. Like was on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or even that like died and consecrated this ground. Right. You know, right. 10,000 years later. Yeah. yeah. And of course, gnomes have a very strong bardic tradition and are very friendly with pretty much everybody. 
So it's an excellent chance that you'll get along very well with them. Mm -hmm. So what are some reasons for half-elves to go adventuring in the first place? Probably the most stereotypical reason is wanderlust. Yeah. You You are so good at so many things that why wouldn't you go out and try to use those abilities in as many ways as possible? It also could be, you know, they are portrayed as diplomats. So it could be that you are in different places because that's your job. Right. You know, you're sent off to do this because you are the one who's able to do it. Yeah. And I mean, if you're going to regularly march on the King's Road, you better be prepared to handle the bandits. (laughs) You also might be brought in for specific purposes by a party, right? They might bring you on because of a specific skill set that you have. So you were were just kind of hired into the adventure because... You had what was missing. Mm-hmm. You also could be a really great fifth man. Like, okay, we've got our bases covered, but what we really need is like this thing and this thing. But most people can't do those, that weird combination of those two things. Right. But half elves, yeah, you can handle it. Yeah, you're like the uh, the Swiss army knife. Yeah. Oh, we should build that. Oh, dear. <laughs> All right, in terms of classes, guess what? You can be pretty much anything. Yeah, I mean, naturally the charisma-focused classes are going to be... Uh, top of mind so bard sorcerer uh, even paladin and warlock makes sense you're also really good at classes and subclasses that require multiple stats because you get those two floating ability mods Mm -hmm. so monk strangely uh, swashbuckler rogue which wants high dex and high charisma yep and it's great uh, to play those unsupported archetypes that just need a lot of charisma but don't really have a way to get it so like the scald barbarian the you know, barbarian the barbarian exactly yeah I, i'm big and tough but i also sing right in combat it's super easy for you to be a spell slinger you know sorcerer or, or warlock or bard but you can be any class and be very skilled you work very well as a secondary rogue yeah and and it's easy like we said at the top to uh be the warrior who has skill Right, like you, you could have good social skills. You could even have good uh, non-traditional skills because you get those extra proficiencies. Yeah, you'll probably be the best at social skills in the party. I think Emery in the Morning Glory campaign was also a half elf. Yes, <laughs> and actually, Lou, charisma-based warlock, was statted off of half elf. Mm, it's almost like it's really strong. <laughs> Skills-wise, uh, you have access to every skill because of the half elf ability. So none of the possibilities are really closed off to you though obviously the charisma based skills are the social skills so you want to look there first in terms of magic items i don't know that i've ever seen a magic item that required that the user be a half elf um just the dragon marks yeah exactly mark of storm and mark of detection pretty much everything is you can be an elf oh i guess you could also be a half elf like yeah. even blade singer in skag you know yeah yeah, that's the. It, it's all the elven items are also applicable to half elves. Yeah, I want to see some items that are restricted to humans that are like, oh, but you know, also half elves. Yeah, and half orcs. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> and, and mole Janasi. <laughs> yeah, and, and Asimar, right? <laughs> and Asimar. Yeah, so just everybody but elves and dwarves, basically. That's cool. That sounds very Middle Earthy, actually. Yeah, it kind of yeah. does. <laughs> this is, these are rings for men, right? <laughs> All right, so to wrap it up, I think half-elves offer one of the things that I really like about playing a fantasy race, which is that like you can experience 
multiple worlds at the same time you yeah. know you they give you a perspective a human perspective which obviously all of us understand and then that like alien fantasy perspective as well yeah i think um half elves are also kind of easy to fall into i think for a lot of gamers because um many people are drawn to the rpg hobby sort of uh, from a from a socially alienated position in the first place right huh yeah i know weird right um so i think i think that can be you know kind of cool and and refreshing to have um a character who's sort of like that but also like respected and revered for the capabilities of kind of dealing with that social outsiderness i mean ever since they got good stats and uh really good really good racial features they've pretty much been the wish fulfillment race yeah actually <laughs> but that's kind of true they've they've also taken over for all the old elves <laughs> like, right like if you if you were the prototypical uh pointy-eared player you'd probably take a long hard look at half elf yeah because in the old days you were like uh con penalty yeah get man. out man i'm not trying to die level one here right and i'm supposed to be pretty but i get a dex bonus yeah what am i gonna do with a dex bonus right so I think fair to say half elves are one of your favorite races in mm-hmm. the the modern D and D. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I was always looking for reasons to play a half elf in third edition. I just never found one. Yeah, they're very <laughs> difficult to to justify, and the things that they should have been good at were uh, already not very good. So you couldn't really afford the penalty. <laughs> yep, I can be an arcane archer. Lovely. And as for you, you 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 play them for their mechanics, yes. Uh yeah um yeah I never really play a half elf specifically for the role playing yeah because Brand was still in his heart a human a human yeah yeah, yeah I mean in a way he was the half elf who was raised by humans and mm. only by humans and never had any elf in attachment mm-hmm. right but I am also very comfortable and happy to play human characters period right like a lot of people um I think are drawn to the half elf because they're not human but they're humanish. Mm-hmm. Right, they're not too alien, but they're also not real. Right, I can play a human, but you know a little better. Right, I'm sure your affinity for human characters has nothing to do with the extra feet. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> do you hear that, Asian? I'm just cobbling together yet another half elf subrace. Well, let's move on to the character creation forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Dilettante, uh, by which we are required to take at least one level of every class. Yeah, this is a, a sort of build challenge we'd been kicking around for a while. I think one of us just sort of shouted it maybe like six months ago and was like, yeah, we should do that sometime. Mm-hmm. And of course, half-elves used to have an ability called Dilettante in 4th edition. They are the consummate Dilettante. Yes. I'll try a little bit of everything. I am surprised at how effective I think this build will actually be in play. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that I think it's going to be that effective. Really? Yeah. All right. All right. Well, the build is... Hold on. It's a a mouthful. (laughs) In in (laughs) alphabetical order, please. Barbarian 1, Bard 1, War Cleric 1, Druid 1, Eldritch Knight Fighter 6, Monk 1, Paladin 2, Ranger 1, Rogue 1, Dragon Sorcerer 1, 
Pact of the Tome, Fiend Warlock 3, Wizard 1. That is a lot of classes in which we do not even get an archetype. <laughs> yep. But I think there's probably only one class in there where it's like, eh, I wish that wasn't in there. Everything else brings something to the table. So you're going to start with 16 Charisma and a 13 in every other stat except Constitution, which will be a 10. And that is that is going to be your stat array. It really can't be anything else. Yeah. You don't have the points for it. Yeah, and you're not going to get many ASIs. You're going to get two yeah. from Fighter. Which is why we take Fighter 6, because right. that's the only way to get two ASIs in only six levels. Yes. And, of course, you're going to pump both of them into Charisma to get your Charisma to 20. Which is why this build stacks everything it possibly can onto Charisma, because it's the only stat you have above a 13. Right. So let's start with Fighter. <laughs> You'll get those two ASIs. That gets you the 20 Charisma. You also get extra attack. And you're an Elder tonight. So here, we're actually only looking for spell slots. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the easiest way to get spell slots with your ASIs. Right. Think about it this way. We're looking at a build where you're not going to get high-level spells. You're going to get a ton of low-level spell slots. Right. And because of the multiclassing rules, they stack. You can only you can still only take low-level spells, but you'll have higher-level spell slots. Right. Yeah, so in the pursuit of those extra spell slots, uh, we will then look to Warlock. So third level, you will get two invocations for a full-strength Eldritch Blast. Yeah, this is a... Remember, cantrip scale on character level, not class level. Right. So your Eldritch Blast will be just as good as a 20th level Warlock. And then Pact of the Tome gives you three cantrips from any class. So you could take Shillelagh. You actually have to take Shillelagh. Yes. Because <laughs> it gives you a charisma-based melee weapon. Yes. Um, and then you will have Dark One's Own Blessing as a Fiend Warlock, which will help to offset your low uh, constitution. That gives you a little bit of temporary HP. You'll get the Hex Spell, which is always amazing. And then you'll get to choose from some really great second-level Warlock spells. Hold Person, which we always recommend. Yeah, also Invisibility, which is good for a group. And then Misty Step. But we've got all these spell slots and no spells really to cast them with. So we need to find something to do with them well we're already charisma based yep. it feels like we should go paladin <laughs> and we have a weapon that we can actually attack with charisma so we're gonna get on that smite cycle oh yeah we've we've got okay four first level slots three second level slots three third level slots and a pair of fourth level slots plus two second level slots that refresh every short rest oh it is smite city yeah uh and that will be what you do every time you hit you will throw a smite on top of it yeah, you're attacking with charisma, uh, with your charisma-based shillelagh, and dropping smites on it, and getting a little bit of temp HP every time that happens. And until you get that engine working, you are eldritch blasting with the best of them. Right. And now let's look at the benefits of the other classes. So barbarian gives you a little bit of resistance with rage. Uh, it, it won't it won't help you with spell damage, but it will help with uh, piercing, bludgeoning, and slashing. Mm -hmm. And re just remember that you use that bonus action shillelagh first because you can't cast spells while you're raging, but you can sure as heck smite. Right. Bard will give you five inspirations per day uh, at a d6, uh, as well as two cantrips and four known spells, as well as a couple skills. War Cleric gets you heavy armor and martial weapons, which is important because you're not going to be starting fighter, so this is the only way that you're actually going to get that heavy armor. Ranger gives you tracking and favorite enemy. So we got everything we needed out of Ranger. 
Uh, Rogue, of course, gives you a sneak attack die and expertise in two skills, so you'll have at least something that you are a boss at. Dragon Sorcerer will give you an extra hit point per level. Which, again, when you've got low con, Mm -hmm. good plan. Wizard gets you arcane recovery, so you'll be able to recover one first level spell slot. That's fine, because all of these casting classes stack nicely in the multi-classing section. So all together, you're going to have proficiency in all weapons, all armor, shields, nine skills, seven languages, thieves' tools, a musical instrument, and your choice of two tools or languages. You will also know 21 cantrips, 12 (laughs) spells, and you'll have access to the full lists of cleric, druid, paladin, and wizard. At first level. Oh boy. So if you're actually playing this... Don't. No, no, no. I think it works great. Start off Warlock 3. Okay. Because... Get get your functional Eldritch Blast. And then... That's right. At first level, you're already Eldritch Blasting. You're fine. Third level, you've got a Charisma-based Shillelagh, which you don't need to use yet. Then I would say Fighter 5 to get your extra attack. And so if you want to, it's sort of a toss-up between am I going to Eldritch Blast for two rays or am I going to attack twice? Oh, I would actually do Paladin first so you have a reason to do two attacks. Uh, and that way you'll get your extra attack. You know, if you do Paladin 2 and then Fighter 5, you'll get your extra attack at level 10, which will feel like you're tearing up at the right time. Yeah, that'll work fine too because you can smite cycle early. And right. so even though you're only getting one attack, you can throw everything into it. Right. I'd probably also take dueling fighting style at that point just for the the damage bump. Yeah. Because you're going to feel a little lackluster. But again, you can always just agonizing blast, eldritch blast if you need to. Right. From there, take everything else in whatever, yeah, whatever you, want. you want. I mean, I'd probably matter. throw a rogue on early. Yeah. You know? The only thing that doesn't really get anything is monk because you can't really punch with dexterity. You you do get like a free bonus action attack if you happen not to be wearing any armor, which I guess is a thing you can do if you get captured and you just sort of hope that hits. Yeah, it, it kind of sucks, but Monk is really just a wasted level. I uh, would take it at 20, honestly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then maybe uh, invalidate the build by skipping Monk. <laughs> no way, dude. You got to get them all. It's like, oh, okay, it's, it's, a, it's a Pokemon trainer. Right. right. <laughs> all right, Asian. what is your dilettante? Mine is someone who considers themselves to have a very open mind. They are very open to new experiences. If we were playing a Planescape game, I'd say they're probably a sensate. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to experience everything the multiverse has to offer. Mm-hmm. And in their travels, or maybe while they were interacting with um, a sensory stone, they were exposed to this idea that maybe some of you have heard of. If you've ever read the short story called The Egg, which the basic premise is you live an entire lifetime. And then you are reincarnated into a new body and live an entire lifetime, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, ad infinitum until eventually you have lived every single life that has ever been. And then and only then are you actually awakened and born. So every single person out there is actually you living some version of a life. That feels like a time paradox, but that's okay. It's totally fine. This character believes that in a way. And so they want to experience as much as possible in this particular life. And so it is It is a philosophical decision to try to live every possible role while also being a constructive member of a party. Right. What about your dilettante? 
So I think I would take this character. I, I think because of the the wide set of skills and sort of lack of focus, I think there's maybe a tendency to think of this as a very young character. Uh, but I would take it in the opposite direction mm. and make this a, an older adventurer, right? So as we talked about beginning Warlock and then moving Paladin through uh, Fighter, up to level 10, you look like a very pedestrian adventurer, right? Uh, you're a relatively functional gish at level 10, um, and, and you don't look that far afield from any other adventurer. It's only after level 10 when you start really diversifying into a dabble of this class and a dabble of that class um, I I think to me that strikes me as sort of a an older adventurer seeking out the spice of life, right? You're kind of in your uh, your waning years, and you just want to learn what there is to learn. Right? It's a bucket list. Uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe, and, and maybe with like the goal of retiring from adventuring and sort of founding maybe like an adventurer's academy, mm-hmm. um, something where, where we teach you- everything. It's a liberal arts. Uh, adventuring academy right I, we we get you started right we give you the skills you need to to get out there mercenary to get out there caravan guard to get out there tomb robber after that it's on your you're on your own <laughs> we don't provide a whole lot of late game support but we'll get you we'll get you skilled up and going it's yeah. better than working the farms i guess we offer only associates degrees yeah <laughs> uh, basically it's like uh like Trump University. <laughs> Except actual degrees. Yeah, but it'll just get you killed. <laughs> or, you know, crushed under a mountain of debt. <laughs> Druid 101 didn't teach me how to wild shape. Right. I know, that's that's Druid 201. Right. Sorry. I also like the idea that you start off Warlock, right? Mm-hmm. Easy, quick path to power. Yes. I like the idea of as your penance later in your life, you must pursue the hardest path to power. Uh, you want to okay. get to 20? Nah, this way doesn't work anymore. Right. Try something else. Uh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. It would be very difficult to play it that way, but I like that idea if you took uh, Paladin last, right? Oh, so man. Smite would be your like level 20 capstone uh-huh. redemption for your uh, your infernal bargain. I, it would be unplayable is the problem. It wouldn't be the worst because you'd have two attacks with Hex. Uh, yeah. So not terrible. But also but not really great. not good. Yeah. Way off curve. <laughs> All right. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is to become one of our Patreon supporters. You can visit patreon.com slash totalpartythrill to get access to extra content, TPT merchandise, and some forthcoming rewards. So if you can spare an extra $5 a month, please consider giving it to UNICEF. But after that, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing the show every week and expand our offering. And if you give us a five-star review on iTunes, we'll read it on the show. Like this. This is This Rating Goes Up to Eleven by Crunchy Frog. This is by far the best D&D podcast out there. I've tried many, and this one blows them all away. Hosts Ishan and Shane share a special rapport, which is a pleasure to listen to. They're knowledgeable, and they respond to feedback that is sent in. Who could ask for anything more? I love when people don't ask anything more of us. Yeah. <laughs> and even then, it sometimes takes us a while to get back to people via email. Yeah, I think on Facebook it says 100% response rate within eight days. Yeah. <laughs> well, Facebook is different because it's hard to see those. They go into a different inbox. That's true. Also, we recently came back from Gen Con. I think there's a few in in Twitter, DMs. So we're going to get to you. We're yeah. definitely getting to you. Yeah. It is not personal. I promise. It is just uh, incompetence. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about playing characters of faith. And in the Character Creation Forge? We're building Eisenhorn. 
Well, that's it for episode 109 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening.